Ezra 10. So, if you recall last week, Ezra came back into Jerusalem, coming from Babylon, and he gets the word that many of those in Israel have started marrying foreign wives. And these foreign wives uh, seem to have been probably idolatrous women that would eventually lead these men and the, and the nation back into idolatry. And what was the whole, one of the whole reasons they got put back into captivity is because they were going into idolatry. So they're going back to familiar sins and to familiar ways back in the promised land, uh, doing the same things they were doing to get put into captivity. But don't that sound like us sometimes? We have certain sins that just seem to snag us and, and keep us in chains sometimes, Lord. We constantly pray the Lord would deliver us from those sins, and we should do that. Constantly repent, constantly ask the Lord to forgive us of those sins, to strengthen us and help us to get out of them. Um, here they're intermarrying these, these foreign women, and, and uh, I think even the institution of marriage here in the United States and possibly even the world has kind of... Uh, have a, has a lower look on it now. People don't take it quite as serious. A lot of people, especially these uh, millennials, Gen Z's yet to be seen, but the millennials, a lot of them are not going to traditional marriage anymore. Uh, they're living together but not wanting to take that next step of uh, commitment. Uh, some reasons is the economic foundations they may have. They may say, well, we're saving up to get married. We're not ready yet. We don't have the financial uh, ability to do it yet, or we're just not settled in our careers. But just how many of y'all know Satan always has another bill for you to pay, another financial burden to pay? So often they never get married. Some of them just look at the traditional institution of marriage, and they, they just look at it as old-fashioned and out of date. That's not what we're doing nowadays, uh, and we're not going to do it. So they don't want to make that commitment. And, and the reason I bring up the, the issue with marriage, how they're not looking at tradition, uh, or how the Bible describes marriage between a man and a woman, is because we see here in chapter 10 that we're going to see the Israelites, and we've seen it in chapter 9, having the issue with marriage and doing what God told them they should not do. We read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 7 last week, that they should not marry a foreign woman. They should not have children with these foreign women but a simple fact that it would lead them straight back down the road of idolatry. And they needed to stay clear of that and to separate themselves from those in this land. And we had also said last week that when Zerubbabel had took his crew down, back down to Jerusalem, that the foreign, the people within the promised land wanted to help them build the temple. And he had already stated that, no, you will not build the temple. You will not be part of this because they were not worshipers of Yahweh. They were worshipers of these other gods. And so that separation started there. But as the years have gone by, about a 60-year separation between Zerubbabel and Ezra coming, we see that they're starting to get comfortable again and slide right back into their idolatrous ways by marrying these foreign women. Now, I'm going to assume that if these foreign women would have forsaken all their idols and started following Yahweh, there may not have been a problem. But the problem was that they were not forsaking Yahweh. They were not want, uh, forsaking their gods and following Yahweh, but they wanted to continue to worship those idolatrous uh, gods that they were worshiping. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Now, while Ezra was praying, 
And while he was confessing, weeping, bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And remember, he was, he was, when he heard this, he was in shock. He didn't eat anything until the evening sacrifice. He started pulling out his beard and pulling out his hair because he was very much in shock and saddened by the sin in which Israel, the state that he found Jerusalem in. He was hoping to come back and see them worshiping God, see, him, see them sacrificing to God and celebrating who God was. That's what he was expecting to see when he came into Jerusalem. But as we see in, in chapters 9 and 10, we see him coming back with the bad news of them falling, backsliding to say, back into the sins that had snared Israel for so long. We see here that Ezra's prayer, not necessarily a sermon, but a prayer was bringing people to weep as he was weeping and to, and to see sin for what sin was. And that prayer was speaking so much to the people here as they're mourning and weeping over the sins of the nation. And here, I think, begins, begins a great spiritual revival for the nation of Jerusalem. But as we've seen in, in Kings and Chronicles, these, these revivals would only go on for a certain period of time. And then next thing you know, they're backsliding again. Call it the roller coaster ride, because they would, they would have high highs, but they would have really low lows. And it was kind of something that was going back and forth. And all they had to do was put away, or they were going to do was put away these idolatrous women and the children that they had produced together. And all they had to do was in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, these two chapters explaining that if they would do the will of God and follow what God told them, remember in Kings and Chronicles, he would always talk about if you would Follow my statutes, obey my laws, and these blessings will come to you. Well, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 tell us that. Hey, you do these things, you follow my ways, life is going to be great for you. But if you decide not to follow my ways and you decide to do what the other nations are doing, then cursing, a curse is going to come upon you. And we know that Israel, uh, with his first king Saul, they kept crying that they wanted a king like the rest of the nations. They wanted to be like the rest of the nations. They didn't want to be set apart from the world. And God gave them a king. God gave them exactly what they were asking for. And we see the slippery slope that they went down to. And we need to continue to pray to God. We're, we're asking for a nation that is separated from this world. We're asking for election to be one that seems to cater more towards our, our conservative thinking and our, our religious beliefs than the other party does. And we're praying for that, but God knows what the ultimate outcome is and is in control of that. But here we see that there are marrying these idolatrous women, not following what God had told them to do. Because in Deuteronomy 7, he clearly tells them, do not marry these foreign women because you're going to end up falling into idolatry. It's going to be a bad way for you. But here we see him still crying out to God, still weeping, still bowing down before the house of God, Asking God to forgive a nation. In verse 2 it says, in, uh, Shechaniah, the son of Jehel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives for the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. 
So because of this weeping and praying that Ezra was doing before the people, Shechaniah is seeing that, hey, there is hope. We see the people now starting to come, not only the men but the women and the children as well, coming to the temple to share in this weeping and this sadness over sin. We're going to see a, a, a genuine repentance of this sin in a moment. But he says here that we have hope now because basically you are here. And it says, now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master, of those who tremble at the commandment of God, and let it be done according to the law. So he's talking about the law of Moses, um, about getting rid of these wives. And if you can look at it as some application for us, is getting rid of the sin in our life, getting rid of those things that are born from sin as well. So we may have sins that we struggle with, and those sins may spread to other areas of our lives, causing us uh, to fall before God in our walk. And those are things we need to put away. We need to put away the idolatry that we have in our heart, put away the lust that we have in our heart and the greed that we have in our heart and everything that would stem from that. So he is telling them here that they're going to put away the wives, put away those who are born to those wives, to get it out of the nation before it rots the nation. And in verse 4 it says, I, f- I found this a little funny, it says, Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. So Ezra shows up. Hey, this is what's happening. Okay, this is in your plate now. And I'm going to step away. You, you need to take care of what is going on. But we, we got you back on this. But you're going to have to take care of it. So the Shechaniah here, too, he's not, he was not listed in the uh, list of those who had created this offense, but he seems to have been a spokesperson for those who were involved in it. So let's move on from that. Then it said that they married, the word married, said that they married these women. It also in Hebrew means dwelling with. So some of this may have not have been a legal marriage as well. Sometimes in, in the Bible they, they call concubines wives as well. So these may have been people they may have had relations with, took care of, what have you, and had children with, but not always necessarily marriage. And then they really needed to put this away and make an end of this. And some may say that might have been a harsh move in, in putting away these foreign women and their children. Uh, and, you know, in the human aspect, we do think that's kind of mean, not taking care of them maybe at all. But I'm pretty sure there was some kind of... Uh, Something that was given to him to take care of him, I, I would assume. So let's go ahead and go to verse 5. It says, Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all of Israel swear on an oath that they, would be, uh, that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. So they gave them their word. Hey, yeah, we did this. We married these wives. We had these children with them. And guess what? We're not going to do it anymore. We're going to get rid of them. We're going to try and head in the right direction now. It moves on, verse 6, it says, And Ezra rose up from uh, before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elishab. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. So basically saying he fasted here. He was still fasting, but why is he fasting? They just gave their word that they were going to do this. But how, how many knows sometimes our word is no good without 
action. So he's still fasting, still praying, still saddened about the situation. Uh, and until he sees action, I'm pretty sure he's going to remain somewhat in this state. In verse 7, it says, I think that's where I'm at. Yep, verse 7. It says, They issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem. And whoever would not come within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated. And he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. Now, if you remember when Ezra came back into Jerusalem, uh, the king of Persia had gave him some direction. Uh, if they don't follow the, the ways of your religion, if they don't do the things that you tell them to do, there were several conditions that they would confiscate some of their stuff, uh, disassociate from them, possibly even have them killed for their disobedience. So we see here Ezra, who is there acting on behalf of the king of Persia, is acting out those commands that was given to him. So if they would not show up in three days, these are the things that would have to happen to you. So there were consequences for it. And moving on, verse 9. It says, so all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem, Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twelfth of the month, and all the people sat in open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. So not only were they trembling because they knew that they were in sin, they knew they were not walking in obedience to God, and I'm pretty sure they have already heard the stories of history of what God had done to a nation that had not been obedient to them. And they know they're coming out of captivity, what God could do. But also this was during the rainy season, so there was a lot of rain going on in this particular area. So moving on in verse 10, it says, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have uh, transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make con uh, confessions to the Lord, God of your father, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you said, so we must do. So they've come together. He's telling them to repent. And they're saying that they will repent of this. But just think about it again, having to let go of these wives and these children that you've, you've had. You, you've probably had them for a little while now. But our human nature, like I said earlier, it, it would be tough. But it would be of no use for them to keep those wives. It would be no use to them to keep those wives once they realize in their heart the disobedience and the sin that they have committed before God. And I think they, they say here that they were going to do what God had asked them to do because I think they realized the disobedience that they had. I think they realized that they had sinned before the holy God, and now we're going to see them take the first step to, step to forgiveness in confessing their sin before God. So he's asking them to confess their sins here. And I believe... You know, not only were there priests and Levites who had taken these wives, they were just your common everyday Israelite had taken these wives as well. And, and in 2 
Corinthians 7.10, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that's what they were wanting to do right now. They were wanting to confess before God their sin. They were wanting to get rid of the filthiness, which happened to be the foreign wives and, and the children. And they were, wanting, they were wanting to be able to do this before God with a healthy fear of God, like we spoke about Sunday, a healthy fear of God. And it's one thing to say, I'm sorry, because we see here Ezra still kind of fasting before, before he sees the action done. There's one thing to say, I'm sorry. And then there's another thing to say, I'm sorry, and change direction. And that's what we're looking here, that they're going to change direction. They're going to change course from the sin and idolatry that they have been caught up in to turn back to God and go back to him and put their trust in him. And there is reward in putting trust in God. In Matthew 19, verse 27 through 29, it says, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, talking to the disciples. And in verse 29, it says, And everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my namesake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So God will ask us to leave things we may love. God may ask us to go places that may isolate us from families and friends. We may lose things in our life, whether it's physical possession, because it says here lands, that may hurt us. But if we do it and we follow God and we're obedient to his way, there is a reward in the end of it. And there was going to be a reward at the end of, of this whenever they got rid of the foreign wives and they got rid of the children that came along with and they got rid of the sin within their hearts. There was going to be prosperity for, the, for Israel. There was going to be blessings for Israel, just like it spoke to us in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, by following the ways of God. Now, is there heartache? Absolutely. Are there disappointments? Absolutely. But when we set our heart to be like God, and we set our hearts on God, we are going to, in the end, have a beautiful reward waiting on us. And we've got to be able to, to do that and walk in his way because there is great reward in forsaking all and following God. Amen? In verse 13, as we continue, it says, But there are many people, it is, but there are many people, it is a season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside. Now, I've been to the Middle East and Iraq, and whenever it does rain, with all that sand and everything out there, it gets pretty nasty out there. So I can understand why they wouldn't want to be standing out there. And it goes on, Nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. So it wasn't going to be a one-day thing, just like this election. It's not going to be a one-day thing. It was going to take a while to sort through all of this. In verse 14, it says, Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and the judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of God is turned away from us in this matter. 
only uh, Jonathan and the son of Ashel and Jehaziah, Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshalom and Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. So here we see them turning the people away for a moment, and they were going to give them a point in time to come to, to I guess, to lay their case before the judges and the elders and to have the final judgment brought upon them and to ensure that the act of sending the wives and the children away was performed. So they're going to take care of that. It wasn't going to happen in one day. It was going to take a while for it to be done. Uh, and then it says, we just read that there was a group of them that actually opposed. I don't think they were opposing sending away the wives and doing what the law of God had said. But I think the way it was going to be done, I think that's what they were opposing. Uh, that they may have wanted it to be done quickly uh, instead of taking maybe several days. Uh, I don't believe they were opposing the, the, the actual way it was going to be done and how it was going to be carried out as far as the wives leaving. But I do believe it was uh, the time period it was going to take. I think they may have wanted it to be done a little quicker. All right, so they're going to send them out. In verse 18, as we continue, it says, And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers, Maasiah, Elizer, Jerib, and Gedaliah. And they gave their pro uh, promise that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented ram, uh, a ram of the flock, as their trespass offering. So we see these guys going to make their offering before God, showing that they're going to get rid of their wives and asking that their trespasses be forgiven, kind of setting the standard of what everyone should do at this point. Give their sacrifice to God. Get their trespasses forgiven. Send off the uh, foreign wives. Send off the children to be able to cleanse the land again. In verse, nine, uh, verse 20, it says, Also the sons of Imar, Hanani and Zebediah, of the sons of Harim, Maasiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jael, and Uzziah, of the sons of Pashur, Eloni, Maasiah, Ishmael, Nathaniel, Josabad, and Elisha, also of the Levites, Josabad, Shemai, Eliah, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliza. Some of the singers, Elishab and the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telm, and Ura. And the other Israel, and others of Israel, the sons of Parash, Ramiah, Josiah, Melachiah, Mildrumin, Eliza, Hamelachijah, and Beniah. And the list goes on of those who we're going to send off. I'm not, I'm not going to let y'all sit through suffering on that. But those who had had these, had these wives and these foreign gods, and at the end in verse 44 it says, all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. It's quite a number of people who had fallen back into idolatry, but I'm glad Ezra was able to get there in Jerusalem and being able to move the people to a point where they seen the sin that was in their lives and they seen the harm that was going to be caused 
by this sin, not only in their own lives, but in the lives of those uh, in, in Jerusalem. And, you know, Ezra, Ezra ended up having to send a report back to the king of Persia. So he had a job he had to do, and he was fulfilling that job and had a great victory right here. Because you remember that the king of Persia had asked him to, hey, make sure these religious uh, statutes and everything are being followed properly. Make sure you're saying a prayer for me while you're at it. And here he is taking care of this situation. Now we'll see in Nehemiah coming up that they end up falling back into this at, at some point. I think, it's in, I think it's in chapter 13. They fall back into it. Now that is no fault of Ezra. Because we've seen throughout their history, and you can look at your own history, how we've fallen into sin, gotten out of sin, fallen into sin, gotten out of sin, back and forth. So something we can learn from this uh, as we start to close is that confession and separation have eternal ramifications. It has a big effect. So we need to confess before God the sins that are within our hearts and the sins that we've committed to get ourselves purified before him and also separation, to separate whether it's from people or things that may cause us to fall into that sin. Jesus told us to be the salt and light of this world. We're going to be around unbelievers. Where I work, I'm around unbelievers all day long. But we have to be salt and light to those people. That doesn't mean that we completely cut ourselves off and become monks. I don't think I'll look too good in a robe. But we can't be involved with those who are hurrying into sin. We need to separate ourselves from that and just to be that salt and light. Jesus hung out with the sinners. Yes, he had meals with them. He spoke with them. But he wasn't going off doing the sins that they were doing. And we need to follow in his footsteps, the footsteps of our Messiah. And uh, he showed us the way to do that. So... I think every one of our lives, without exception, there are decisions that we need to make regarding the issues and the sins that we have. And that, that decision needs to be that we repent, we confess, and we separate ourselves from that because he gives us opportunities to do that. He shows us a way out, and we need to be able to, to take that. In 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, then you may be able to bear it. Look for a way of escape. Put your trust in God. He has great things for you. Forsake all for him. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this book of Ezra, Lord. We thank you for the lessons we've learned through this, Father God. May we be able to apply it to our lives. Uh, we continue to pray for our country, just like Ezra was, was, was asking the country to repent of their sins and repent of the idolatry that they were starting to get into, Lord. We want to repent of our idolatry here in America, Lord. We want to repent of the idolatry we may have rooted in our hearts right now tonight as individuals, Father. I just pray, Father, that your spirit would, would, would search our hearts and search our minds, Lord, and our motives in the things we do, Father. And forgive us when our minds and our hearts and our motives are not in the right place, Father God. And may we get back on track with you, not only as an individual, as a church body here, but also as a nation, Father. We leave this, uh, we leave this election in your hand. 
And we give you honor and we give you praise and we give you glory through it all, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.